Shalom everyone, welcome to the Upper Room After Hours. Much obliged, very grateful for you to join me once again. Um, plenty going on in the world at the moment, uh, but today I actually want to focus on uh, primarily uh, the body of Christ as opposed to the, uh, the speculations, the rumours of wars and... Um, yeah, it's just my opinion that, that there's so many avenues, so many uh, outlets, m- media that are covering the things that are taking place, whether it be political, whether it be warfare, however you want to uh, look at things at the moment. Um, but today I thought it would be great uh, to take the opportunity to just uh, look at the body uh, uh, of Christ in a way that um, I think is uh, it should be refreshing, uh, essentially, because... Uh, quite often, uh, as uh, as believers, uh, irrespective of denomination, it's very easy to to take a look at others and to see the weaknesses, see the differences, whether it be doctrine, whether it be leadership, teaching, um, and so I think it may be sometimes more profitable to look at the uh, the good things, the positives, and the benefits to looking uh, across. Um, uh, the body of Christ, and to just highlight some of the um, some of the uh, uh, more inspirational elements. So, um, this is the first part in a mini series um, called "Laborers of the Vineyard." Um, so, I think it's a, a good opportunity to look at the different uh, facets and the functions of the body, and to see what we can glean from. Now, um, just from a personal point of view, um, I'm uh, very comfortable in um, where I'm at in terms of doctrine, uh, theology, uh, where we stand as a fellowship, um, our creed, and the things that we hold dear. Uh, so there are, are certain fundamentals, aside from the gospel itself, uh, in terms of um, how I see uh, uh, Torah, how I see um, uh, doctrine in general, I, I'm super comfortable where where I'm at. I, I'm I'm well fed, and um, I feel like personally I'm in a good position now where uh, I can uh, perhaps chew the meat and spit out the bones, if you like. And I think there's uh, great value to be found in and around the body, not just the messianic um, uh, part of, uh, I guess, what you would call Christianity. Um, we could get into the labeling of Christianity and and what we would call ourselves as uh, uh, those that, that uh, follow Torah and, and Yeshua and, and all of that. Um, and uh, hopefully later on in the series, we can focus on the uh, the messianic element. But I think uh, today, uh, my first focus will be in in and around uh, the, the realms of apologetics. Um, we touched on it slightly in the uh, last episode where it came to an interview with uh, Richard Dawkins. Uh, if you've not checked that out already, go go have a look. And um, I personally am enamoured by apologetics. I think it's been a way in which uh, I can take a look at some of the, the weightier questions of the faith and also how to prepare myself uh, for difficult conversations and... Um, Obviously, it says in the scriptures, worry not to say in the moment for the Holy Spirit will intercede for you. And, and I completely get that. 
at the same time, I, I always think it's good to be prepared because, um, you know, there are those uh, conversations, whether it be in the workplace, whether it be uh, with our families, where uh, we can get into the the, uh, the the deeper elements of the faith. But sometimes uh, there are more, I wouldn't say f- surface level questions, because there are some very deep questions and some deep meditations that people have uh, about Jesus and God and, and the faith. Um, but what I find apologetics does, it broadens the, the scope and the perhaps the ability to, to have a, a free-flowing conversation. And um, also one thing I, I've learned is, is to be okay to not have all the answers at times. Uh, I believe that it's the, the Holy Spirit that prepares the heart of a person um, to receive the gospel or to receive a revelation of, of God. And um, if it's not that time uh, for for me to be able to, uh, you know, bring somebody to the faith or, or anything like that. Um, you know, I can plant seeds and I can be humbled at the same time if I don't have an answer to a question. Um, but with that being said, there are um, certain uh, Christian po- apologetics that are popular on YouTube. There may be some familiar faces. Um, what I think it would just be good to have a look, highlight, and just say, do you know what? Job well done. This is good stuff. And there are, there are things that I can take from that. So with that being said, um, our first um, port of call. Now, this is, um, this is a classic clip. Now, the individual uh, himself, I'm not actually too familiar with other work that he's done. Um, uh, he goes by the name of Kent Hovind. But this clip, I just think, is like, it's just incredible. And, um, yeah, it's the classic, if there's a God, who made God question, which is, um, I, I think it's a great question. Um, but I think Mr. Hovind just bats it out of the park. So we'll we'll get into it. I'm confused. Being philosophically consistent and being a very honest person, I'm sure you can tell me where God came from. And in addition, in addition, once you've told me where God comes from, uh, please try to clarify how you can figure that a spiritual force can have an impact on a material universe to create it. I think that some years ago we already talked about that kind of thing in uh, philosophical circles at any rate, by posing the question, if angels are made of uh, spiritual matter and a pen is made of material matter and spiritual matter displaces no space, how many angels can dance on the tip of a pen? (laughs) I have a sense of sort of uh, uh, reversal experience here, but, but please do, go ahead. You got five minutes. Now, I just want to know which question. That's all right. You may take the first minute. We're supposed to do one question at a time. Which one would you like? That was part of the format for the debate. So, which which? I want you to fill in the story of the rest of the uh, beginning of the universe. God, spiritual matter, impact on material matter. Okay. So, two questions. All right. Go ahead. 
All right, your question, where did God come from, assumes that you're thinking of the wrong, uh, obviously it displays that you're thinking of the wrong God, <laughs> because the God of the Bible is not affected by time, space, or matter. If he's, if he's affected by time, space, or matter, he's not God. Time, space, and matter is what we call a continuum. All of them have to come into existence at the same instant, because if there were matter but no space, where would you put it? If there were matter and space but no time, when would you put it? You cannot have time, space, or matter independently. They have to come into existence simultaneously. The Bible answers that in ten words. In the beginning, there's time. God created the heaven, there's space, and the earth, there's matter. So you have time, space, matter created, a trinity of trinities there. Just, you know, time is past, present, future. Space has length, width, height. Matter has solid, liquid, gas. You have a trinity of trinities created instantaneously. And the God who created them has to be outside of them. If he's limited by time, he's not God. The guy who created this computer is not in the computer. He's not running around in there changing the numbers on the screen, okay? The God who created this universe is outside of the universe. He's above it, beyond it, in it, through it. He's, he's unaffected by it. So for... And the, the concept that a, a spiritual uh, force cannot have any effect on a material body, well, then I guess you'd have to explain to me things like emotions and love and hatred and envy and jealousy and, and rationality. I mean, if your brain is just a random collection of chemicals that form by chance over billions of years, how on earth can you trust your own reasoning processes and the thoughts that you, you think? Okay? So, um, I, your, your question, where did God come from, is assuming a limited God, and that's your problem. The God that I worship is not limited by time, space, or matter. If I could fit the infinite God in my three-pound brain, he would not be worth worshiping, that's for certain. So that's the God that I worship. Thank you. Classic stuff. Great opener. Um, uh, I, I could only hope that I would be able to, like, memorize that monologue, but uh, that's, that's not happening for me, but... Um, yeah, just a, a really good opener there with with uh, with Ken. It's just um, it doesn't go like too deep in the whole like using science to explain God and vice versa because there's always always that assumption that um, like God and science are exclusive from one another. Um, and I do enjoy it when people are able to uh, kind of quantify uh, scriptures in terms of. Uh, yeah, uh, a mathematic or a scientific description because um, it's quite inclusive to, uh, you know, the premise that, you know, words, language, numbers, all of that, it's it's a, it's a measurement of creation essentially and it, it doesn't negate uh, its value because um, it's a description of, of creation, which is really good. So, uh, yeah, that's the opener. Um, again, just a disclaimer, like I don't know the full theologies or ministries of some of these individuals. So please don't hold me, uh, accountable in a sense that like this guy was teaching on infant bam baptisms or this guy, like I, you know, <laughs> it's all about picking out the best bits of what you see, uh, across the board. So, um, yeah, that's our, our first offering. So our next one, um, comes from a guy called uh, Jeff Durbin. Uh, again, you may be familiar with him. He's uh, His ministry is Apologia Studios. Um, really comprehensive work when it comes to um, whether it's debating, uh, whether it's uh, descriptions of uh, the faith, whether it's a history of the faith. Um, 
he's, he's a very uh, prodigious guy. He puts out a lot of uh, work, a lot of content, and I've seen him do um, great work when it comes to uh, anti-abortion uh, work. He gets out there. He's 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 yeah. He gets out there, um, but also a great presence uh, online as well. Now, there's uh, there's so many um, elements that I could sort of pick from this individual, um, but there's something about this clip I think highlights um, uh, conversations with Jehovah's Witnesses. Now, um, I don't know, if, I, I presume it would be the same in the States, uh, but here in the UK, uh, Jehovah's Witness are, are, are renowned for um, uh, knocking on people's doors, being on the streets, and... Um, being very uh, prolific in terms of uh, spreading the uh, spreading the, the word of God, um, and uh, I think if you spoke to a lot of people, there is a degree of respect, and um, yeah, there, there's a, a kind of meekness and a sweetness to Jehovah's Witnesses, particularly in in Britain. Very polite, very courteous, uh, very patient, and um, yeah, just uh, uh, in my personal again, this is this is a, a part of the um, element I find when you uh, uh, interact with people with other denominations is like, what has your direct experience been like? You know, we can talk about doctrine, we can talk about teachings, we can talk about corruption in the church, corruption in different institutions, uh, whether it be messianic, whether it be Jewish or, or whomever. Um. But sometimes I think it's very good to have like a critical view and, and say, what has my direct experience of these individuals been? Like, have I ever actually spoken to a rabbi? Uh, have I had a conversation with a Jehovah's Witness, uh, a Mormon? Or have I just watched a lot of YouTube? Have I seen a lot of things, read a lot of things? And don't get me wrong, that's all quantifiable and, and, and legitimate to, to come up with a balanced opinion. But I think what what's really also important um, uh, again, is your direct uh, experience with these individuals, and and for me personally, I've had nothing but like great conversations with with Jehovah's Witnesses, and I may not be uh, theologically astute enough or scholarly enough to be able to cite chapter and verse in order to to, I guess, spar with the scriptures in that sense, um, but there are those that are called to do. So that may be a reason why I've enjoyed conversations because it's not been as uh, potentially visceral as it as it what could be with others. Um, but with that being said, um, I think this clip is a great example of of uh, being courteous, being kind, and having a heart for the individual that you're sharing um, your perspective with. Because when it comes to these denominations, particularly the Jehovah's Witnesses. There are very, um, uh, yeah, questionable uh, foundations to, uh, you know, Christ, to Yeshua, to um, his um, uh, to his deification and things of that nature. So, um, yeah, with all that being said, we'll watch the clip. Um, it's a little bit longer, but uh, again, I just think this is a very great interchange and interaction, and and hopefully it can be helpful. 
but yeah. we're not trying to change you. We're just trying to say, here's what the Bible says. Can I ask you a question? I've had a, I've had friends, Jehovah's Witnesses, good relationships for many, many years. Um, one of the things I found interesting was the New World Translations, um, some of the additions the New World Translations has made um, in terms of like the person of Christ. So, for example, I, I would we, we would believe as Christians historically that Jesus is uh, eternal God and He created everything in existence. Mm -hmm. But my, my Jehovah's Witnesses friends believe that Jesus is is not the eternal God um, and that um, He didn't create everything in existence. And the New World Translation seems to add words to the text to um, to change some of that. If you read in Colossians 1:15, yeah, it says. Jesus is the, uh, uh, in, uh, how to put it? Uh, Firstborn of all creation. Yeah. Yeah. So we believe that, that Jesus, Jehovah created Jesus first. Yeah. Before, and then through Jesus, everything has been created. So it's interesting. That's actually an amazing text. Um, that's, that's what we look at. Yeah, so Colossians 1. 15, I think it is. Uh, yeah, so 15 says, um, it's Christ. Yeah, we have, we, in whom we have redemption through forgiveness of sins. So this is the thing I've always been curious about. Um, he's the Im image of the invisible God. See what's um what's cool is is quite often um uh these guys like do uh, are familiar with the word and they they are um you know they do have a passion and, and a zeal for it and and are willing to talk about scripture uh, which uh, again is always a, a great um great foundation because if you know you, you you're not it's not necessarily about opinions it's it's the sharing of uh, the word itself, so that that can be really fruitful. The firstborn of all creation. The word there, firstborn, is prototokos. It doesn't mean first created. It means preeminent one over all things. For by him all things were created. Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. But it's interesting that. Do you have a New World Translation? Yeah. Uh, in the New World Translation, it says all other things. Which is which actually isn't in the Greek text. Mm -hmm. <coughs> see, I, I'm not next, I wouldn't know. To be yeah. honest with you. So I guess that's one of the things we're curious about as Christian ministers is right. is um, that because you, you you made a stellar point. You said Satan will always take things and make it look like the truth, just enough truth, and then spin it and twist it to deceive you. And so I think that'll be one of our concerns: is who is Jesus? Mm -hmm. Who is he? And you know, like Mormons, you're here. You probably run into Mormons all the time, right? They believe they believe different than you and I both. They believe that Jesus is Lucifer's brother, one God among many gods. You can become a god one day, just like Jesus, just like the Father. Seven levels of heaven. Yeah, yeah, three different levels of heaven, and they believe that they're. I didn't say seven levels of heaven. Oh, interesting. Yeah, they they say they believe that you uh, you have to work to become a god. Yeah. One day. I have no idea about that. But yeah. yeah. But so what's interesting is that in the first century, the Apostle Paul warned the early church in 2 Corinthians 11, he was worried about them that they would, he, he was worried about them that they would actually believe in another Jesus, oh. a different gospel. Uh -huh. And so I guess that's what I, because I'm always curious, because Jehovah's Witnesses, you guys are so passionate, you're zealous, you're, you're just sweet, sweet people. But I think that when we talk about the Jesus we believe in, we believe in one God, eternally existent as three eternal persons. Jesus existed forever ago, and he created everything. But it's interesting because the, the Watchtower adds words, say, to a text like Colossians, where the text says Jesus created all things. The Watchtower says he created all other things. Uh -huh, outside of himself. Yeah, all other things. So let me ask you something. When he died, who resurrected him? <clears throat> he says, um, 
He says, you destroy this temple to the Jews. And he says, in three days, I will raise it up again. Uh-huh, but can a dead man be resurrected themselves? Well, Jesus said that he did. Well, but, but was it say that he resurrected himself? He said, well, he said I would raise myself you up. You know, you make then. a good point, yeah. I would raise myself up, but yeah. I see, and, and we could, what I found, especially if you believe in the Trinity, you believe in three and one. Yes, sir. Yeah. And what I found is that very rarely do we ever convince anybody not to be a Trinitarian, and very rarely do convince us not to be one. What I like to talk about... You believe in one God, one, one person. God, one and I believe, I believe the Holy Spirit is not a living entity. I don't, so you, I don't see any places that, that, that so do you the Holy believe, Spirit is a living entity. Okay, this will help me then. Do you believe that... Um, yeah, just uh, just a sort of touch on that briefly obviously you've got elements of trinitarianism and again that that's debated and um uh, can be a sticking point uh throughout um you know christianity in general um another element is the the personage or the personhood of the holy spirit uh again there are a lot of uh, denominations that attribute uh, the holy spirit to being a a force or an entity as opposed to uh, an individual to a person, um, which uh, again can be lead to some really compelling conversations, and um, I guess this is part of the um, the broad the broader stroke of of apologetics in general. You have uh, apologetics to atheists, unbelievers. You've got apologetics within um, different uh, sects and um, denominations within Christianity itself, and then you've got arguably apologetics even with within messianic uh, circles as well um so I, for me personally I, I, th I find it's good to you know try and inform myself and educate myself in terms of um not only how i stand on on certain doctrines but actually uh, it's healthy to know where where other denominations and religions stand when it comes to uh their faith uh, and again that you can go to very far degrees in terms of um, you know how how that can go. I mean, you know, just off we had uh, Grant from the fellowship on. We he did a great. Uh, we had a great conversation in and around Islam and uh, different junctures of conversation there. So um, yeah, I, again, just this is a really good insight in terms of what uh, Jehovah's Witnesses actually hold on to in terms of uh, how they see God. So he, he spoke there about oneness, so that God is one, uh, one person. Um, you know, separate from the Son and separate from the uh, from the Holy Spirit. So, um, yeah, interesting. Jesus is a God. He is a God, but is he the Almighty God? There's only one Almighty God. The Bible says Job is the Almighty God. There's a difference. Really? In the A my God. I can't find it after that right now, but I can find it. There's one in the Christians that there are many gods, but there's only one Almighty God. Interesting. So, you know, in in, uh, in Revelation, it calls Jesus the Almighty God. I'm not sure. In the book of Revelation, um, it talks about Jesus, who is the Almighty God. When he says, I'm talking to the Father, who is he talking about? He's talking to the Father. So is that another person? Another person, yes. But he's so, the same person as he's talking no. to? No. Yeah, and that's actually that, a powerful that, thing. I get confused. Well, yeah. talking to himself? Well, that's interesting because, you know, um, I have a lot of friends who are Mormons. Yeah. And we have a lot of Mormons in Phoenix. I don't know if you know that. I mean, a I know, lot. I've heard about it. Um, Mormons and my, my Mormon and Jehovah's Witness friends seem to believe um, that Christians believe in modalism. What's that mean? Modalism was one of the first heresies rejected by the Christians in the second century of the church, and that's the idea that God sort of exists in modes, right? He's one God, one person, uh -huh. and it, sometimes he's the Father, 
and then he takes off that mask and now he's the sun and he takes off that mask then he's a spirit so like when those my my mormon friends will say jeff who's jesus talking to in the garden of gethsemane and i'll say well jesus is talking to the father the one he's been in eternal relationship with from all eternity and they'll say well he's not talking to himself and christians have never believed that jesus is the father and that that one actually stumped me once long story short i was uh, going shopping and i got talking to a, a muslim girl and um we were getting into it sharing about uh, the faiths and uh, she asked me about the garden of gethsemane and she says so you believe jesus is god and i say yeah yep duh, 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 duh. and she's like so when jesus is praying in the garden you know, your will be done like that do you think that there's two two different wills at play and uh you know the will of jesus and the will of the father how can they be the same if they got different and i was like in that moment i was stumped and uh quite often like i really enjoy those sort of conversations and because generally i guess part of my ego gets satisfied a lot of the times where i was like yeah i i did that one well or i quoted that one. it was the first time where i like i didn't have an answer and i was like do you know what you make a really good point i'm gonna have to go away and like look at this um so as i said at the top of the show like don't be afraid sometimes where you don't have the answer or you'll you just have to say look that's a really good question i'm sorry i'll have to go away we believe that there are three eternal co-equal persons father son and holy spirit one of the powerful texts that says that is john chapter one in the beginning was the word he was always there and the word was with god and the word was god yeah how about john 1 14 it says that he is the um the son of uh I forgot what he's the son of a God. It says, um, John 1, 14 says, and, and, and the word, God, became flesh and dwelt among us. But in John 1, I think John 1, 18 is, might be what you're pointing to, where it says um, he's the only begotten God. And now the word there, only begotten, means in the Greek it's, it's uh, monogonese theos, and it means the unique and one-of-a-kind God who is in the bosom of the Father. Does that also mean the only created no, no, no. Um, the word monogamous theos doesn't mean created. It means um, unique and one of a kind. So it says, the unique and one of a kind God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has made the Father known. So it's interesting because in that text, John 1, it says Jesus always existed from all eternity with the Father. It's internal fellowship with the Father. And then he says, and he was God. But an interesting thing is in the uh, the Watchtower's translation, it says he was a god, mm -hmm. which uh, no Greek scholar in the world would translate it as a god. Mm -hmm. um, um, it's, in the Greek, it's it's really, really powerful. In Archaean Halagos, forever ago, Jesus was already there, and he was proston theon, toward the Father, an intimate relationship with the Father. And kai uh, theos ein halagos means, and God was the Word. The Word was God. Um, so it's just one of those interest instances where we, we love our Jehovah's Witnesses friends where it seems like we believe in two different Christs, uh -huh. right? And I think you'd agree with that. We, well, we believe I in different... Two, I mean, I'm not, I mean, see, I'm not really that versed in the Trinitarian thought, but all, I'm, all I'm saying to you is we believe there's a Father, there's a Son, there's a Holy Spirit. Right. We don't believe there's three in one. Three persons, yeah, one God. There are three, there are three different, and we don't, I haven't found anything that says that the Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost is a living entity in itself. Oh. I haven't seen that myself. Have you read John 14? I probably have, but I can't read that. But you, where Jesus says, um, the, the, your helper will come. Yeah, he says, uh, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he will guide you into all truth. He will 
convict the world of sin and righteousness. So Jesus calls the Holy Spirit a he. What about in Genesis? It said the act of force. What is the act of force in Genesis 1, 2? No, it doesn't say act of force. It says the Spirit was hovering over the so face is, of the waters. The Spirit? the Spirit of God is the Spirit of God. So is that a living entity? Oh, he's a, he's a living person, living being. So there's the being hovering over God. Over that so uh, so it's, the Bible teaches that there's only one God. We agree with that, right? Um, and that yet the Bible calls the Father God. It calls the Son God calls the Holy Spirit God, and yet it always makes a distinction between the three persons. It never says the Father is Jesus. Well, there's numerous places. I would say the, the one you pointed to in Genesis 1 shows the Holy Spirit was actively involved in creation. And then another example of statement, you, you know this one, when Peter was uh, with Ananias and Sapphira, and he said, you know, why have you lied? Oh, he says, day, day. he says, when you lied to the Spirit of God, you didn't lie to men, but to God. Yeah, the Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit of God talks to Paul. An active force can't speak. Mm -hmm. And the Holy Spirit of God tells Paul where to go. Jesus says, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness. He will be in you. He will guide you into all truth. So Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit as a he, but as a him. And again, I think this is a real deep one because uh, uh, aside from the kind of the the depth of the Trinity uh, itself and the whole three and one uh, element to understanding. I, th I think me personally, the uh, element of the Holy Spirit uh, being a person, I think um, is, uh, I think it, it can be a difficult one to consolidate because of, I guess, there is perhaps an ethereal nature um, to the Holy Spirit, to the Ruach HaKodesh, in the sense that, you know, it seems to be descriptive in, in the different times of the scriptures of, of being a force or a move. And, uh, you know, that there's, there's to then attribute that to an individual uh, can be a difficult thing to navigate. And I think that's probably where I've um, personally tried to, like, walk that through in my understanding at different points in the faith. And um, so I can appreciate when somebody is a, a, a bit, I guess, um, can attribute uh, the spirit to less of a person, more of a force. Uh, although I, I would advocate that there are scriptures that are being mentioned here that would, um, and other ones that would, would say otherwise. Um yeah, so it's it, it's it's good to see where the the differences are, uh, and again, I think part of the heart of the conversation is when you know when you have somebody who is faithful and is is doing the work and is doing their best with the revelation that they have of following God, and there could be the chance uh, that they are indeed following a different Jesus, or they are uh, they they are deceived in the sense that they are, as Paul describes. Um, uh, receiving and walking in a, a different gospel, I, I think that's where it's important that we do have the heart the, for the individuals of, right, do do we want to be right in this or do we actually care about the person that we're talking to? Are we doing this in love or are we doing this because we, we want to be right? So I think that that will always help the conversation in the sense that, um, you know, this is coming from a place, place of love and if you're in error or if I'm in error, then we can find that difference, and then and then um, bring our brother or our sister into into line. 
Sometimes Jesus talking to the Father, do the will of the Father. Who yeah. Talking about. He's talking about the Father. But there's the same person. No, no, no. That, that's that's the interesting thing is that uh, Christians have never taught that. Well, I've, I've had Christians tell me that. Yeah, you probably. You, <laughs> I, yeah. I, 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 it's <laughs> it's unfortunate. I agree with you. I've had I've had people. And who, I, and I think that's where Claudia and Jeff and we can talk all day. This is where I get confused with many different religions. Jehovah's Witness is either we're right or we're wrong. I'm not saying we're all right. I'm, but basically the same. If you go to talk to Jehovah's Witness in Hindus, we may have a different word, but we're not going to have a different doctrine. So if we're wrong, we're wrong. Worldwide. Right. Okay? You know what I'm saying? We're wrong, we're wrong worldwide. Right. right. But when I talk to many different religions, including Trinitarians, I get so many different variations. Well, it's interesting you bring that up because historically... But I don't know which one is... Well... If I was... If I was... Listen, let's say if I was... Let's just, let's just say I wasn't your witness. Yeah. I'm on you guys with me, and you, you give me just what you told me. Yeah. Oh, that sounds real great. Then I go to Kekaha, and others. Oh no, they were wrong. Right. They're not the right Trinitarian. Let me tell you, this Trinitarian philosophy. Uh, right. Okay. No, that's too. I go to Kilauea. Well, and said, but both those two are wrong. We got this other Trinitarian. Well, what if I said this to you? That's, that's confusing. Here, yeah, it is. It is. It is. What if What yeah. if I said to you, um, I'm a Jehovah's Witness, and I don't believe that Jesus is Michael the Archangel? Then you're not your witness. Thank you. So when someone says they're Trinitarian but they deny what the Bible teaches about the Trinity and what the church historically has taught about the Trinity. They're not Trinitarians. Uh-huh. And they Trinity don't. Come to the fourth. So, I mean, as I watched this, um, I knew uh, I knew previously that there was elements with uh, Jehovah Witnesses, that there was um, discrepancies in terms of their understanding of who Jesus is, you know, being the, the, the son of God and just the son of God. Um, but... I wasn't aware of the whole, uh, what he just said there about uh, Jesus being Ma- Michael the Archangel. And I was like, oh, okay. I, I, did, mm, I did not know that one. And it's legit. You go on the uh, the official Jehovah's Witness website and they, um, again, I, I'm generalizing, so don't, I, I presume that they hold this to be true, but uh, they would, uh, I think there's a scripture that de- that describes uh, the the uh, coming of Jesus like the uh, trumpet of an archangel, and they attribute that as a foundation to uh, believing that they're one and the same, uh, which I just think's next level. <laughs> and so, at the very best, like, um, well, I mean, I don't know at the very best, but that leads to a really interesting conversation because I know next time. When I have the, uh, when I ever get the pleasure of uh, speaking to one of these guys, of saying, "So, are you on the Michael Archangel? Jesus is the same person, because it says in the scripture that uh, there was one that's made higher than all of the angels." Um, and I know there's probably you get well, an archangel is the, but yeah. So I just thought that was uh, uh, really uh, really interesting, um, but we'll, we'll leave that one there. So. Um, yeah, that's Jeff Durbin. Uh, again, I don't hold true. I don't hold to, to all of the things that he puts out there, and there are things that I disagree with, of course. Uh, however, I just think he does a lot of good work, and there's uh, a lot of good stuff. Um, now, to those who may be familiar with these individuals and might think that this is slightly elementary, um, part of the reason I, I feel it's quite good to do this also is that I think there are a lot of us who come to Torah and um, we've got no idea about uh, the church uh, at, at large. And I know uh, theologically there's differences in t- of understanding of who the church is and Israel and all of that stuff. When I say the church, I mean generally the, the overall body. 
Um, and when we come to Torah, um, quite often we, we don't really know about denominations. We don't really know about church history. I'm not saying this is for everyone, but for me personally, in my experience, I felt like I had a lot of learning to do in terms of um, who was what and what they um, hold doctrinally and why they're different from us as messianics. Um, which is so deep, you can spend, I think you can probably spend a lifetime uh, in and around these areas. But for me, I like to kind of, you know, pick bits of, of history and denominations just so I've, I've got an understanding or uh, however I'm led to, to to find these things. And uh, quite often, there, I think there are a lot of us who just come straight to Torah and, and, and don't have really much of a concept of like who does what and who believes what and the history of these things and oh what do I do if I meet this person and how do I share my faith and and, and do it confidently etc um so th this is part of uh, why I feel led to to do this is that there are those who, who, who don't really know uh but yet we're we're in the Torah we're you know we're doing um uh we're doing the book of moses and we're doing the shabbats and and all of this stuff which is incredible but we may not know um and again maybe we're not all led to to know that and that's absolutely fine but um for me i just think it's good it's a good way of equipping yourself when you go out there and um yeah you're sharing the faith because i don't know about you guys but i love talking about god whether it's at work, if 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 uh, I'm given the green light by a person, um, if it's a family or friends, anyone who wants to have that conversation, like I genuinely love having the conversation. And so many of these um, guys have actually helped me come to terms with a lot of these questions that can be quite difficult. And to, um, yeah, to have an answer or, or, or to have the uh, inspiration to, to be able to, um, yeah, share confidently the faith um right so next up um i don't even know how to pronounce his surname but cliff nettle k-n-e-c-h-t-l-e um this guy like I, i've seen him pop up on like social media predominantly uh, like loads of little shorts and stuff uh but this guy cliff he basically he just has been and continues to hammer college campuses where he's just on college campuses uh, doing the thing. And I, I love it. Like, I think it's, um, I mean, you're putting yourself in, the, there's putting yourself in the firing line, you know, whether it's the sort of LGBT, whatever, I'm going to go in the hornet's nest and start preaching, or I'm going to go in the college campuses, which is like obviously just a, a uh, liberal melting pot of just like, um, yeah, talk about enmity with God. And so for a guy to just go out on campuses and uh, with a really, really good heart to talk to young people and to engage with them and um, to share uh, not only the gospel, but all of the uh, uh, different um, elements of the faith, I just think it's really like really noble and uh, really endearing. And there's something about the guy, he's got a kind of like dad He's got a dad feel to him. He, he's got his um, slacks and his his trainers on, and he's just. He, I, I just think there's a really nice demeanor to him, and he's uh, he's really he's just good with it. I think so. We'll we'll take a look. 
just because Jesus said that, like you weren't there when he said that. And that's your faith and that's your belief that you follow what he says on that matter. The fact is that you were never there when he said that. So you have no idea what heaven is. Okay, good. I was definitely then what I hear you saying is, Cliff, you believe in Jesus, but you don't really have any idea what he said. No, 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 no. You have an idea what he said, but you weren't there when he said that. Obviously you know, not. Right, exactly. So therefore, like, okay, but then therefore you can't say that this isn't heaven because you don't know that for a fact. You only know that just because Jesus said that and that that's your belief. But that's, let's say, not mine. That's maybe not others. So therefore you, like, can't say something like that. Because you have no proof other than the fact that supposedly like that jesus said that but he may and he may not have is it written down that he said that yeah the eyewitnesses and those who knew the eyewitnesses right. communicated eyewitnesses, that though. this jesus said that this earth is not heaven heaven will come about when he returns a second time now, come on you guys know i hope that if i say that i'm a follower of jesus and i go up to this man fall back and slap him in the face that we got a problem here, a problem called hypocrisy. And if you say to me, hey, man, why'd you smack him? I thought you said you're a follower of Jesus. And if I say to you, well, we don't really know what Jesus said. I'm a follower of Jesus, but we don't really know. You know very well you're going to call me a hypocrite, I hope. You know very well that if after I speak out here about Jesus and claim that I'm a follower of Jesus, I go out and womanize, you're going to point your bony finger in my face and you're going to say, clip your one flaming phony. And you'd be right. Now, come on, guys. Let's not jump into la-la land. Jesus spoke very clearly about some issues, like racism in the parable of the Good Samaritan, like loving and respecting all people, even your enemy, like living a sexually pure life. No, I, as a follower of Christ, do not live a perfect life. But I, as a follower of Christ, do struggle with the help of the Holy Spirit to obey Jesus. Yeah, a bit of an older clip that one. Um, yeah, I, I don't. I mean, there's some when you when you're talking to like an age group of like that, you know, they're in their formative years. That they're, they're sorting every. They're trying to like grow and develop into adulthood, and they're really like believe what they believe, and they're starting to get like pumped about like their perspective and stuff. So I just really rate like going out on the front lines in that way. Uh, we've got another clip here. Let's have a look. The reason I cannot be an atheist, say there is no God, is because there are six miracles that every atheist believes in. But there's no miracle worker. First miracle. Existence comes from non-existence. The Big Bang. Second miracle that my atheist friends believe in is... Order comes from chaos third miracle that my atheist friends believe in. Life comes from non-life. Fourth miracle my atheist friends believe in is the personal comes from the non-personal. Fifth miracle that my atheist friends believe in is reason comes from non-reason. And sixthly, my atheist friends have a sixth miracle they believe in, and that is morality comes from matter. That's a miracle. The reason I can... Um, 
Yeah, that's that's Cliff. If you go on YouTube, type in uh, Ask Cliff. There's the, I think he's been doing this for a long time. Um, he's got some good stuff. Um, what's really cool about like what I enjoy about open air uh, apologetics, this style. It's like it, it's it's different from street preaching, from ev- from evangelizing in the traditional sense. Because obviously, you know, you're calling people to repentance. You're almost going in as that like prophet to preach to the town and you know, uh, to be bold and to tell people that they need to repent and all of these things. Um, but the, the, what I really enjoy about, uh, open air apologetics is it's, there's a different, um, a different feel of engagement, uh, and willing that there's more chance of a dialogue in terms of understanding and getting into, um, you know, deeper, deeper topics of, of discussion and, um, yeah, I just think it can be a really uh, uh, profiting way of uh, engaging with people. And, um, you know, a lot of these guys have been doing it for a long time. They're well versed in what they're saying and, and how to approach it. But uh, I'm not saying we're all uh, called to, to go out and do that. But um, at the same time, it's it's in, in, it's inspiring to see people go out there to be bold, uh, to be unabashed, unashamed of, of the gospel and, 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 and the faith and to uh, reach people in a in a loving way. So yeah, check check out Cliff. There's there's some good stuff. Um, lastly, um, we've got Frank Turek of Cross Examined. Again, I'd be surprised if you haven't come across uh, his work before. Again, I reiterate, this isn't somebody I hold uh, in a theological. Um, likeness on all topics um, you're going to see differences in terms of the way he sees the church where he sees uh, you know new covenantal uh, theology and all of that which you, you're probably going to find with most of these guys but as I said there's plenty of good stuff to glean um, now Frank has done so much there's li- there's literally hours and hours of um, footage and I just think he's incredibly uh, well versed in what he does, um, very knowledgeable, and uh, again, uh, predominantly does a lot of work with younger people, and that's crucial. Uh, you know, in 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 this day and age where there is a lot of deception, there's a lot of uh, things being pushed on uh, certain age groups. Um, it's really good that there are those defending the faith and uh, who are prepared to go in the firing line to 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 talk about certain things. Now. Um, Again, I, I could have picked loads of clips because there's there's so much, but I thought this one would be quite a good follow-on uh, from the last episode uh, where I was talking about Richard Dawkins and um, the allowance of evil, I guess would be the best way to describe it. And um, one element I, I kind of didn't touch on within that uh, clip was the the kind of... Uh, the, the mechanism of freedom of choice and how freedom of choice is um, synonymous with love in, in order for love to be um, real and for love to, to exist. Uh, a freedom of choice is, is, is uh, literally crucial in that we, we, we must be able to choose to love. Um, otherwise you're just in a, in a tyrannical uh, situation which we we know we don't serve a god of uh, 
that nature. Um, so I think this is a really good um, explanation and a really good question in terms of uh, the allowance of evil and, and things of that nature. And, you know, a lot of these uh, people who come on these campuses and they have some amazing questions and have some really, a lot of them are genuinely seeking um, particularly in America, because the dilution of Christianity we know uh, is just absolutely uh, ridiculous. So I, I think you've got generations of kids who've heard so much about Jesus, um, but have seen so much hypocrisy, so much industrialization, and and uh, the corporate mega church and i'm not saying all are like that because obviously there's some great moves in in the states at, at this current time um however i think you've got a lot of disillusioned disenfranchised uh young kids who are who are genuinely seeking so anyway in your if god why evil lectures uh-huh you justify the existence of suffering mm -hmm. with a sort of utilitarian explanation by saying that the allowance of suffering leads to a higher good. Mm -hmm. But my question uh, is that it doesn't seem like the good in the world outweighs the suffering, that it seems like it becomes worth it in the end, because most people who've ever existed and will ever exist are destined for hell. First of all, how do we know that? Uh, I guess we don't. So that, would, that would be the question. Okay, how do we know that? And then secondly, how do we know that evil that occurs in this world doesn't have good effects later in this world and even into eternity? There's no way we could know that it didn't have those effects because of the ripple effect. For those of you that were up north last night, we went through this uh, talking about the ripple effect, right? That every event ripples forward to affect trillions of other events. And... For example, I mean, just think about the ripple effects in your own life. You wouldn't be sitting here today if your parents didn't meet, and their parents didn't meet, and their parents didn't meet, right? All those ripples, just people meeting and, and uh, having children allowed us to be here today. We can't trace all those ripples, but a being outside of time and space can. So we can't say that because something evil occurs today has no ultimate good in it there's no way of knowing whether it has good or not in it. You've just got to, you don't have the knowledge to know that. Does that make sense? Uh, yes. So okay. let's say that only 49% of people who ever exist are saved. Do you mm -hmm. think that would be a theological problem? Do you think that somehow in the future that it'll come out in the end where most people are saved? Because I'm saying that it seems weird. It, does, it seems like God shouldn't have created the world if most people who ever exist are destined for hell. Why? That's that's a great question. Like that's yeah, I rate that. Why? Because you're what you're assuming there is a moral standard judging what God does, right? Here's something uh, that God can't do. He can't force free creatures to do what he wants. Because if he does that, they're not free, right? If he makes them robots, then they're not loving. So in order for us to have true love and true moral choice, he has to give us free will. And if he gives us free will, it might be that even a majority of people freely decide not to accept the, the redemption that Christ has provided. 
Is God obligated not to create at all because more people reject him than accept him? Well, with utilitarianism, as far as I understand it, it, it's about weighing the good and the bad. So if more people go to hell, then wouldn't, under that ethical system, wouldn't it be considered Well, God's bad? not a utilitarian. God yeah. can bring... Utilitarian is do whatever is the most good for the most people, right? Mm -hmm. Well, that's smuggling in a moral law which defines what good is. Actually, I know this is going to sound a little bit odd, but if people sin and reject the salvation and they get justice for that, that's a good thing. Okay? So just because everybody isn't saved, that doesn't mean that it's a bad thing. They made their choice, and they don't want Jesus. They don't want to be with God in heaven. So it's not unjust of God to punish them. And as you, you probably know, Cole, God isn't going to punish everybody at the same level of punishment. He's going to be just in punishment. He's not going to punish an average unbeliever at the same level of punishment as, say, Hitler. You can read Luke 12 about this. Uh, it wouldn't be right. In the afterlife, nobody's going to get a raw deal. In fact, you can look at it this way. There's only two things any of us are going to get ultimately. You're either going to get justice or you're going to get grace. Which would you rather have? I don't want justice. If I get justice, I'm toast. But if I get grace and I freely accept grace, he gets the glory for that because I didn't do anything for it. He did everything for it. But if I don't accept grace... I'm getting what I deserve, and what getting what I deserve is a good thing. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that's a good explanation. But then why then in your If God, Why Evil lectures uh -huh. do you use a utilitarian explanation to justify suffering if you think that utilitarianism ultimately fails? Well, I'm not using a utilitarianism to justify suffering. What I'm saying is, is that there are goods that come out of evil that we may not see, and that's why we can trust God. I'm not saying God is playing a utilitarian game. What I'm saying is that God allows free creatures to make their own choices, and he can redeem those choices even when we can't see when or how that redemption comes because we're in this very small window of time, and we can see very little. Okay. All right? Thank you very much. Thank you, Cole. Yeah, just a really cool interchange there. Um, yeah, that's Frank Turek at Cross Examine. Go check him out if you haven't already. Um, but I'd be surprised if you haven't. Um, yeah, that's um, that's apologetics. Um, yeah, as I said, hopefully uh, that has. Um, I don't know helped, informed, encouraged, and um, hopefully further on in the series we can have a look at um, different elements of the body and the work that takes place um, both in Christendom and in the Messianic uh, area. Um, as ever, feel free to um, get involved in the comments. If there's any uh, apologists, any uh, uh, any people that weren't mentioned in this who you, who you who you've enjoyed or is worth checking out, feel free to, to let us know. And um, yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much it for this week. Um, thank you so much for your time. Um, it's much appreciated. Uh, again, I hope this uh, this reaches you well. 
And uh, from our house to yours, shalom, God bless, God willing, we will see you again soon.